0: Of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, many of you have either read or seen movie adaptations of Victor Hugo's 19th century masterpiece, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, that's what we call it in English, anyway. The, uh, I think in, in French it's just simply Notre Dame. Uh, But according to Victor Hugo, the reason that he originally began his novel was to bring awareness of Gothic architecture to his contemporaries in light of some of the uh, less than beautiful trends going on in church building and renovation um, in his days. I I think uh, if we uh, look at some of the uh, what's sometimes called recovations that have happened since the 20th century in ecclesiastical property, we can sympathize with some of what Hugo has been saying. And um, we do hope that uh, whoever uh, the political and architectural minds behind rebuilding and uh, fixing up Notre Dame after those tragic fires earlier this month, that they will uh, take Hugo's recommendations and not... Um, his contemporaries recommendations but at any rate what many folks don't realize is that the hunchback in the title was named after this Sunday the octave of Easter called in Latin Quasimodo Sunday and uh, and part of that is because in the novel that's the day when um, the hunchback was found by the archdeacon and then there's some puns going on there as well in Latin and French that I'm not going to get into but uh, the point is, though, that the octave of Easter is called Quasimodo Sunday in, in the Western Church based on the older Latin rendering of our introit that we just sang from 1 Peter 2, two. As newborn babes, alleluia, desire ye the sincere milk of the word, alleluia. Even though our intro, it isn't part of our official propers in the prayer book, it really does help set the scene for what we do in these uh, Sundays during Easter time. In English, we have more commonly called the Sunday and the, oct- the octave of Easter low Sunday um, as a way of contrasting it with the heights of Easter Sunday itself. And in fact, when you look at the way we do things liturgically, we gradually ramp things down as we get towards the octave of Easter. On Easter, we had the proper preface, and we had um, the special hymn during Matins, and we had two collects and two readings, and we had all this extra stuff, and And then Monday we still have two colics, two readings. Uh, Tuesday, two collects, two readings. But Wednesday, we only have one colic now. And uh, then by the time we get to um, Saturday, we're not using that colic from Easter anymore. We're now using the one for the week. And then after Sunday, we get rid of that extra hymn and we stop with the proper preface and we're gradually moving down the scale because the truth is... We can't sustain the spiritual high from Easter for 50 days. It doesn't work that way. We can't, uh, we can't live off of, um, off of candy and chocolate and new dresses and new suits and colored eggs for 50 days. It doesn't work. We shouldn't do that. And so our prayer book, calls this the Sunday after Easter, the first Sunday after Easter, not the second Sunday of Easter, as happens with some of the more modern uh, modern liturgies, because we're not trying to pretend that we're celebrating Easter Sunday for 50 days. We shouldn't do that, because the truth is, now that the resurrection has happened, we need to learn to grow. We need to learn to live our lives as regular Christians who are getting back to normal life in light of that resurrection. And that's where 1 Peter 2.2 2 comes into play. We need to be nurtured with God's word if we're going to grow. So Easter is, of course, an ideal time for baptisms in the church. If you've ever been to an Easter vigil service, there's a ceremony that happens uh, with some candles at the baptismal font to remind us of this. Um, Next year, we may do that ourselves. And whenever we have new converts to the faith who have spent the year, or at least most of it, in catechesis, the Easter vigil is when they would have usually been baptized. Um, If you've been poking around Facebook, a bunch of our sister churches did have some baptisms on the Easter vigil, which is wonderful. But, and, and so what we find is that the words of our introit are a reminder of what it means to be a catechumen, a disciple, someone that is following the Lord. Whether you're that newly baptized Christian or whether you've been a Christian for a really long time, we always need to desire the sincere milk of God's word. We need to be nurtured with the milk of God's word. We never outgrow catechesis. We never outgrow the basics of the faith. And yes, we should certainly learn to grow up, get more mature, chew on the deeper things of the faith, the meat of the faith, as St. Paul saith. But we are always to desire that milk as well. That's why, by the way, our uh, bishop wanted us to have our diocesan catechism based on the shorter, older catechism in the prayer book rather than some of those newer catechisms that are a lot bigger. And if you've never seen our diocesan catechism, we've got booklets in the back. That's our little commercial. Uh, we can always print more if we run out, so please take those. But the, uh, um, these days... Well, what we need is that our catechism is small enough to be the milk of the faith, the milk of the word, and so some of those more modern catechisms end up being more like a reference book than something that can be used for that simple catechesis. Um, You know, for example, the ACNA's catechism is oh gosh, about four hundred questions long, um, which is a great—it's very detailed. But how long did it take us to teach that during Sunday school? Three years. of it's it's a little bit more than the milk of the word there is a value in those details but we need something that is just as suitable for new converts for confirmation students and for cradle christians who need frequent reminders of the most essential aspects of the faith our collect for the day similarly speaks to this need for growth in our Christian lives, whether we're newly baptized converts or seasoned veterans of the faith. We prayed, Almighty Father, who hast given thine only Son to die for our sins and to rise again for our justification, grant us so to put away the leaven of malice and wickedness, that we may always serve thee in pureness of living and truth, through the merits of the same, thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, according to the Church of Canada's common prayer lectionary, I'm sorry, common prayer commentary, rather, today's collect is the first one in the church year where we address God as Almighty Father. Now that we've encountered the risen Christ who died for our sins and has risen again for our justification, we can turn to the Almighty as our Father, not merely as our Master. It's not insignificant that two of the three main things we learn in catechesis are the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer, where we are taught that God Almighty is the Father and that he is also our Father. Our colic for the day also reminds us that it is through the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ that we can put away the leaven of malice and wickedness. I've mentioned this before, and we talked about it a little bit in Sunday school today. But Easter in most other languages is a variation of the Greek word Pascha, which comes directly from the Hebrew word Pesach, which gets translated into English, oh, in about the time of the Reformation as Passover. In the Old Testament, the Passover, the Pascha, the Easter, if you will, was an eight day feast, it was an octave of unleavened bread it it commemorates that escape from egypt that was so speedy that they didn't have time for their bread to rise we just sang about that in our opening hymn right good thing that hymn did that right it begins with the with the red sea and then we start talking about the resurrection totally appropriate that's the way it ought to be by the way Um, so, but what we find out is that throughout the Old Testament and later on affirmed in the New Testament, leaven symbolized oftentimes sin. When baking leaven, typically yeast, but it can be other fermenting agents as well, it works its way through the dough and it changes the entire character of the bread. Well, sin works the same way, it works its way through our lives, changing us. From whom, from whom we're created to be into something that's a bit perverted. And while the leaven in bread makes it nice and fluffy, the leaven of sin brings death to our flesh. And indeed, it brings death to all of fallen creation. Remember that uh, that Matins hymn we talked about for Easter, the Pascha Nostrum that begins with 1 Corinthians 5.7. You can find this on page 162 in your prayer book. We begin, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. When we were dead in our sins, we were leavened with malice and wickedness. But now we keep our Paschal feast with sincerity, and our prayer book calls that pureness of living, We keep it with sincerity and truth, with the sincere milk of God's word. Well, in our gospel, we have Jesus' appearance to the apostles on the evening of that first Easter Sunday. So please turn in your Bibles to John 20, 19. You can find this on page 171 in your prayer book as well. John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said unto them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. So despite the witness of Mary Magdalene who had seen the risen Lord, despite the witness of the other women who had seen an angel, and despite even the witness of Peter and John who saw an empty tomb, The apostles were hiding out. They were in fear of those who had put Jesus to death. They didn't yet believe. They didn't yet have faith. But our Lord showed them his wounds and he said, peace be with you. St. Cyril of Alexandria observes this. He says, when Christ greeted his holy disciples with the words, peace be with you, by peace he met himself. For Christ's presence always brings tranquility of soul. This is the grace Paul desired for believers when he wrote, The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. The peace of Christ which passes all understanding is in fact the spirit of Christ who fills those who share in him with every blessing. The only thing that could banish fear and unbelief from the apostles, and from us as well, is the peace that comes from our Lord's presence. And notice that he showed them his wounds when he greeted them with that divine peace. It's through the blood and water that flowed from our Lord's wounds that we're healed. It's through his precious blood shed for us and his body broken for us that we can be in Christ's presence and we can have his peace. The creed reminds us of the foundational nature of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. And when asked what, they, what we learn from the creed, the catechumens respond, among other things, that they learn to believe, quote, in God the Son who hath redeemed me and all mankind. Without redemption, we have no peace. Well, let's pick up in our text, our gospel text, with verse 21. <clears throat> Jesus said unto them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they have forgiven them. If you, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So again, Jesus gives them his peace. The first time it was a sign and reminder of their redemption as they saw the wounds from our Lord's passion. This time, this second time, it is part of their commissioning for ministry. The sending out of the apostles, and by extension, all those in pastoral ministry, is a direct result of the Father sending Jesus. He just said, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Well, as we see in Jesus' ministry, a major part of the apostles' commission was to teach people about and call people into the kingdom of God. St. Cyril of Alexandria again observes, Christ says that he sent the apostles even as the Father has sent him, that they might fully comprehend their mission, to call sinners to repentance and to minister to those who were caught up in evil, whether of body or soul. In all their dealings on this earth, they were not in any way to follow their own will, but the will of him who sent them. And they were also called to save the world by their teaching, so far as it was possible." Well, in the end of his gospel, St. Matthew puts it this way, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A disciple is a learner, a follower. In short, a disciple is a catechumen. If you're a disciple in the Lord, You will always be a catechumen. You will always be learning, always growing in the sincere milk of the word. Finally, our gospel passage concludes with Christ giving the apostles the authority, which has often been called the office of the keys. That is the binding and loosing aspect of the pastoral ministry over sins. If you forgive the sins of any, he said, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from many, it is withheld. This is not an arbitrary power trip for the apostles or for priests and pastors today. Rather, it's an aspect of exercising God's word, even an aspect of the Holy Spirit speaking through the preaching of the word. When we preach the law and the gospel, which are summed up in our catechism by learning the Ten Commandments and the creed, God's Spirit convicts those who are called. As we read in our epistle, it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. The key to using this power of the keys is whether we see repentance or whether there is repentance, not really, it doesn't even matter whether we see it, but whether there is repentance by the person who is seeking God's forgiveness. Scripture is clear that God always offers forgiveness to the person who repents. We see this expressed eloquently in Ezekiel 33:11 that we allude to in our absolution from morning and evening prayer. Ezekiel 33:11, As I live declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? So repentance is also key to the Christian life. We never reach perfection on this side of eternity. We are always struggling with our sins. We're always fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this is why we have confession and absolution in all of our major services. This is one of the reasons we have the pastoral ministry anyway, is so that we would be able to speak God's forgiveness to those who repent. The other side of the coin, though, is that the word of God and by extension the pastoral ministry declares God's judgment to those who will not repent. We do this so that the unrepentant sinner might be convicted by the Holy Spirit and come to his senses. Wake up just like the prodigal son did in our Lord's parable. So we see the cleansing blood of Christ's wounds. The the offer of forgiveness and repentance and the peace that Christ gives us are all part of those same foundational teachings of the gospel. They are all aspects of the pure, sincere milk of God's word. As we live in light of the resurrection, commemorated in this great Paschal feast, and for the next 50 days, we do remember the resurrection for these 50 days, may we always look to the milk of the gospel, Always be nourished. Always remember that we are ever disciples and catechumens, children of our Heavenly Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory and the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all.